Good morning. Second Timothy chapter four is where we'll be at this morning. Second Timothy chapter four. Second Timothy chapter four, one through four. Second Timothy chapter four, one through four. Let me pray for us. And then we'll we got a lot of work to do this morning, so I hope you had a big breakfast. <laughs> no, really, I hope you had a big breakfast. Let's pray. Lord God, you are good. Uh, we ask that you just show us yourself this morning. Pray that your Holy Spirit would empower me to preach. God, that you would bring forth fruit from your word this morning. That you would stir our hearts up for you. God, that we would leave uh, with a deeper desire uh, for you, for your glory, and for obedience. It's your son's name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Uh, we are in our foundation series, and um, this is going to be a little bit of a preaching sermon and also a little bit of a commentary on who we are as a church. Every year that we've uh, been here, we've tried to do this. We've tried to go back and remind our own people uh, and those who might be visiting who we are as a church and um, why we do church the way that we do. Uh, we have chosen to keep church very simple for us. Um, and uh, we've chosen to have some distinctives about our church, uh, and we like to remind uh, everybody in our church every year why we do what we do, uh, so we don't want to assume anything, and so if you've been a member here for a while, uh, you know what's coming today, <clears throat> and uh, today we're going to, uh, under one of our pillars as a church, we have what's called, we want to be a Bible-saturated church, and in particular, uh, that means expositional in the way that we preach uh, and oh, what does that mean, and uh, what does that look like, and why have we chosen as a church to do that? So, uh, like I said, we're going to preach uh, a good bit today, but we'll also do a little bit of commentary on who we are as a church uh, and what we hope to continue to be um, when it comes to preaching God's Word. If you defined expositional preaching, <clears throat> Mark Dever would um, define it this way. Expositional preaching is preaching in which the main point of the biblical text being considered becomes the main point of the sermon being preached. Well, that would be obvious, uh, but that's not always the case nowadays, but that would be how he would define that. Uh, John Stott would define it this way. Exposition refers to the content of the sermon rather than its style. To expound scripture is to bring out of the text what is there and expose it to view. The expositor opens what appears to be closed, makes plain what is obscure, unravels what is knotted, and unfolds what is tightly packed. It's a good definition as well. At Sovereign Life Fellowship, we believe that the church historically has, uh, we believe about the Bible, what the church historically has believed, and that is that you are not, you are not the center of the biblical story, but rather God is. You were clearly involved as God loved you and sent his son to die for you. But what the Bible is revealing is the character and nature of God. That he is holy, 
just, that he demands obedience, and that apart from Christ, you are not holy, you are not justified, and you have no ability to be obedient to God's commands, which is why we need Christ. And we believe that if that's the case about the Bible, and we believe it is, that the preaching the Bible in its historical and biblical and chapter context is necessary for you to understand who God is and who you are. Therefore, the elders at Sovereign Life Fellowship have chosen what, historic, what has historically been the only method of preaching that does this effectively, and that is expositional preaching, which is John Stott so well stated, allows us by the power of the Holy Spirit to open what appears closed, to make plain what is obscured, to unravel what is knotted and unfold what appears to be tightly packed. We believe in this church, and our elders believe, that the greatest and most serious role of the teaching elder is not to visit hospitals. It is not to make sure you feel comfortable. It is not to make sure your funeral is done. It is not to make sure that you are greeted perfectly. It is not to make sure that there is the right kind of coffee outside, although I know that's a big deal to some of you. It is not the purpose of the teaching elder uh, to make sure that everything is running smooth and all these other categories. We believe, we believe at this church, and this is a distinctive of our church. We're not saying others don't believe it, but there is evidence among this country for sure that churches have moved away from this, but we believe in this church that the most important role that the teaching elder, which is me particularly in this church, that the most important thing I do is the preaching of God's word. That's what we believe. And our elders have been wonderful at making sure that I am freed from many other responsibilities to make sure that this one is done as well as I am gifted to do that. This separates us from some churches. Some churches have relegated preaching to a much lesser role in the church, not nearly as important. Uh, they tend to, some tend to, focus more on their worship and making sure the presentation is done well or that the show is done well. In fact, sometimes in some churches, I'm not sure that you're not supposed to purchase a ticket before the show starts. I'm not sure anymore. But there seems to be very little emphasis in some churches on the proclamation of God's word. And that is a shame. That is a shame. We don't need a show. We need God's word preached to us. And so when this gathered body comes together, when the elders bring us together at such a time as this, our number one goal is that we proclaim God's word to you. Now, where would we get such a strange idea? Well, in 2 Timothy, Paul's last known letter to Timothy, his young protege, a young pastor, uh, Paul, uh, being very convinced that he is about to be executed 
uh, reaches out to Timothy one more time, requests that his presence, requests that he come and visit him one more time. But just in case, he pins a letter to his young protege, his young pastor, and tries to give him, uh, here's my last words. Here's what I want to make sure you understand. I'm, I'm about to be gone. I'm about to be executed. I'm not here anymore. And so this is important. Everything I'm writing to you in this letter are things that you must do as a young pastor. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says this. Verse 1, I charge you, strong language, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, also strong language, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. That's a heavy charge that Paul lays out. Because of all this, here's what I want you to do. Make sure you make all the surgeries. It's not there. You know know what's there? Preach the word. So, So Paul, on his deathbed basically, Writing out to his young protege says, listen, above all else, everything else is secondary to this vital role for you as a teaching and preaching pastor. And that is preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And here's why, Timothy. Listen, Timothy, here is why you need to do that. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. We're there, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So let's look at this briefly. Why have we as a church, as a very young church, why have we chosen to make this such an emphasis? Why have we decided to preach the word? Well, here's number one, because the Bible commands us to. There's one, the Bible says to preach the word. It doesn't say to talk about the Bible. It doesn't tell me as a pastor to discuss the Bible. It does not tell me to create some self-help thematic series with a couple of verses that are taken out of context generally. No, no, no. We as me, me as a pastor, me as a teacher, me as a preacher, I am called to preach the word to you. That is the calling on my life, and it should be the calling on anybody's life who stands in the pulpit and proclaims the word of God. They are to proclaim the word of God. And do not pass this command very quickly. You, as a member of the body of Christ, should be most concerned with this happening. Let me say that again. Your greatest concern as a member of a church is not that the music goes well, although I like it when it goes well. It's not that the greeters do a great job, although I like it when the greeters do a great job. 
The most important thing that you should want is that someone stands in a pulpit and proclaims the word of God to you, in which you are rebuked, in which you are reproved, in which you are corrected. That is what your soul needs. So don't move past that very quickly. Pastors are called to preach the word of God. Now, why is that? Well, number two, it's the word of God. That would be evident. It's the word of God. Our elder reading earlier, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, said all scripture is breathed out by God. And that word, listen, that word, no other word, that word is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God, woman, that you who claim Christ may become complete and equipped for every good work. So let me, let me reverse this for you. I'm a little worked up today. We're in trouble. It's going to be a little later. Sorry. Here, here's, let me reverse that. If you, if you don't think this is important, if you don't think this is the most important thing that happens, then you are not concerned about being made complete and equipped for every good work because that happens through the word of God. So this should be, listen, believer, brother and sister, this should be the most important thing that you need in a church service is that someone preaches to you because you need to be trained in righteousness. And if someone stands up here and, and has really neat series and all those other kind of things and never proclaims God's word, then you are missing out on being trained in righteousness. This is God's word. People say, I want to know God better. Here he is. This is where you find him. This is not my word. That's why. As a young preacher, I tend to listen a lot to Bruce, who have you've heard me use his name before. He tried to get me to understand to preach the word, try to leave your commentary as much as you can out of it and preach the word, because this is God's word. It's not my word. It's not Wayne's word. It's not Lucas's word. It's God's word. And God's words are not mere words. The creator and sustainer of all things is speaking here. That's weighty. Question one in the Baptist Catechism of 1689 says this, who is the first and best of beings? And the answer is, God is the first and best of beings. So, let's just work through that for a moment. If God is the first and best of beings, and he is, that means you are not the first and best of beings, because God is. So let's just ponder this. If the first and best of beings decided to write down his words, I'm just betting that the central theme of those words would be about himself. Not about you. Because what more glorious thing, for those of you who were in focus class this morning, what more glorious thing could you write about than the first and best of beings? And so, the Bible is not a love letter to you. It's not. It's the word of God about himself and who he is, what he demands from those beings 
he created. Now, some of you who may have grown up hearing that, you're a little miffed right now. Listen, I'm not saying that God's word does not reveal his love for you. It most certainly does in Christ. But the central theme of the word of God is God. Because he wrote it. And it would do us well as pastors and preachers to make sure we are reminded that this book and the purpose of me expounding on this book is for you to get a better picture of God. Not how to find joy and peace at work, but God. It's important because much of what you hear today in churches draws very little attention to God, but instead draws lots of attention to us. Not in many places. What you hear from the pulpit is not much different than what you can find in the self-help section of any bookstore. When you drive through any town, notice church signs that talk about their Bible series. Rarely do you hear anything about This week, seven weeks on the wrath of God. You never hear that. It's six weeks on how to be more joyful. Because the danger of viewing this Bible about and and being about you is that it makes you the center of the Bible instead of God. And we are not the center of the Bible. God is. And our preaching, and our preaching in this church, and you as a member should demand this, the preaching in our church should be done in such a way that God is the main point. His holiness is seen. Our hopelessness because of sin is obvious. And Christ being our Savior is our only answer. That is what we should preach from the pulpit. We want everything in this church to be governed and directed by the Word of God, and we truly want to be Bible-saturated. We want the songs that we sing to be songs that stir us up about the Word of God. We want our prayer time to be drawn from the Word of God, and we want our preaching to be centered on the Word of God. Why is this so important to us? Because it's the Word of God. And, And here's the unique thing that this Word does. When we gather and we sing and we pray and we preach this Word, number three... The Bible, the Word of God, discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We have already heard in 2 Timothy 3, the Word of God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. But how does the Word of God teach us and train us and correct us? What we heard in Hebrews 4, 12 through 13 The Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. That's deep. I'm not a doctor, but if you can pierce bone and marrow, that's deep. And it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's deep. And no creature, that's you, And that's me, is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him of whom we must give an account. When the word of God is preached, when it's the center focus of a church, then the word of God cuts us open. It tells us the truth. 
It points out errors in our thinking, the sinfulness of our attitudes and inclinations, and deep, deep, deep down in us where no man can see. Those things about you that you don't want anyone to know, God sees that. Nothing is hidden from him. Brother and sister, you need that. You need the word of God to cut deeply. Otherwise, we justify our own actions and our own desires and our own dreams and our own visions. And listen, we all came in here today. We all came in here today with our own opinions and our own intentions and our own inclinations and our own passions. And listen, left alone, we, me and you, we always think we're right. Amen? And everyone else is wrong until the word of God is preached to us. And then we find ourselves out of line with what God says. And you need to be challenged by the word of God. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. You all came in here today. Unbelievers, those who have never professed Christ, you have no ability to follow God. And all of your thoughts and all of your passions are enemies of the cross. But believers, those of you in Christ, you still feel it, don't you? Those desires that we have and those passions that we have and those inclinations that we have and the thoughts that we have and the things that we want that are against God. There is a way that seems right to me. But its end is death. I know for those of you who have been with me for a few years now, you have grown weary of me saying this, but you should get over that because I'm going to continue to say it a lot. But I say it all the time from this pulpit. I said some more. You hear all day and all night from everything around you, TV, social media, friends, your coworkers, about what you should do with your lives. And what you should live for, and what you should pursue, and what you should want, and what your lives should be about. And the message of this sinful and decaying world bombards us 24-7 from every angle. And I get 30 minutes on a Sunday morning to proclaim God's word to you to say, you're going the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. That's not what you should live for. I get 30 minutes to the world's every day 24-7. That is why when you come to a church, you need someone to preach God's word to you. So you can be challenged. We need the word of God to cut us, to discern our thoughts and the intentions of our heart. There is something better. There is another way. In fact, there is only one way. God's. And we need to be reminded. You need to be reminded. I need to be reminded when I prepare these sermons that there is a God that nothing is hidden from. Nothing. He sees everything. And that God is who we proclaim to you. If you ever find yourself in a church where the pastor doesn't preach the word of God, find another church. 
Because you are doing a disservice to your soul. You're walking in dangerous territory. And I've heard people say, well, my pastor doesn't preach the word, but he's really good at a lot of other things. And the church does all these other things well. And I can study the word on my own. So I'm good. Be careful. Because Paul didn't tell Timothy to make sure his people knew how to study the word. Although that's good. He didn't tell him that. Here's what Paul told Timothy. Preach the word. That is the most important command to pastors. Because I and you need the word of God preached to us. We don't need themes we don't need bite-sized pieces of the Word of God that runs off into humanism and self-centeredness. No, no, no. We need the Word of God proclaimed to us. And if we don't sit under solid biblical preaching, then our souls are in danger. And that's why God commanded pastors. And let me tell you something. And it bothers me. It makes me nervous. I'm going to stand before God one day. And I'm going to give an account of every single sermon I preached. That is weighty. Why would I dare preach anything else but this book? The greatest way that I can love you as a pastor is not to make sure the church has the greatest music program that we have the fog machines and the strobe lights. That's not my goal. The best choir or the best entertaining and relevant youth ministry and children's ministries. It's not to make sure our coffee bar looks good and, and all the stuff works great and our parking lot attendance. We don't need those yet. <laughs> or that I have a great long-term vision. The best way that a pastor and an elder team demonstrates their, for, their love for you is in their obedience to God in preaching the word to you. And all of their other ministries as a pastor should flow out of their obedience to preaching. There is a way that seems right to man. And Paul told Timothy, we are prone. Listen, we're prone. Prosperity gospel sounds good. Can we just be honest? Wouldn't it be great if, if all sickness didn't invade Christians? Wouldn't it be great if, if everything we ever did succeeded financially? I mean, you, you, are you telling me there's not something in you that desires some of that? I do. And Paul told Timothy, if you're not careful, people will gather for themselves teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear and they will wander off into myths and no longer listen to truth. You are in danger of that just as I am. If we allow something else to stand in the pulpit besides someone who preaches the word of God to you. My prayer as a pastor is to live the motto that 17th century pastor and theologian Richard Baxter had. He said this, I preach as never sure 
to preach again. And as a dying man to die again. Some of you, this may be the last sermon you ever hear. Should it not be one that points you to God? Never, ever, ever, church, members of Sovereign Life Fellowship, never, ever let any person stand in this pulpit and get away with not preaching the Word of God. You hold me accountable to that standard. I need, and you need, and we need the Word of God preached to us. Now, I'm woefully aware of my inadequacies as a preacher, fully aware that there are many on this earth who can preach the gospel better than me, who are more educated than me. And I do desire to always get better and to learn more, but I take comfort in what Charles Spurgeon's grandfather said about Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, uh, the prince of preachers, considered by many the greatest preacher to ever live, I believe what Charles Spurgeon's grandfather said, who also was a preacher. And he said, Charles may preach the gospel better than me, but he can never preach a better gospel. And that is true. And so here is the gospel. This book is about a God who is holy, holy, holy. And you were born into sin. No one had to ever teach you how to sin. You are unholy. And that presents a great problem for you. But God, best words in the Bible, but God, because of the great love that he has for you, sent Christ to take your place on the cross Jesus, for those who believe, Jesus takes your sin and you get his righteousness. Isn't that amazing? And then you are brought back into a right relationship with God. People say, well, how would I know if I believe? Because if you believe in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you will never be the same again. You cannot meet the God of the Bible and live like you have never met the God of the Bible. Well, how do I become a Christian? I'll tell you what the Bible says. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. You don't have to take my hand. I'll be happy to talk to you. But you can repent and believe on the Son of God. And your life will be forever That's it. Our call is a church to be a church. But the primary responsibility of those who stand in this pulpit is to preach the word of God to you, and you should demand that for your own souls. And I believe God honors that, and God will grow a church who commits to doing that. Keith's going to come up and lead us in a meditation time and Elders are always here. We're around to talk to you. We don't generally stand up front. That doesn't mean you can't come grab us. You may want to grab somebody else and pray with them, whatever you might want to do, but we should ponder what has been preached to us about the Word of God. You've got to thank God for His Word. Thank Him for allowing it to rebuke us and correct us 
and train us in righteousness. Let me pray for us. And then we'll spend some time in meditating on this great truth and worshiping God. Lord God, you are good. We thank you for your word. Lord, we need to be corrected, God. This world has such a draw to us. It calls our name every day. And our inclinations and our passions tend to swell up in us and we move away from you. We, we move away from obedience to you. And your Holy Spirit convicts us, Lord. But God, we are thankful that the word, your word, corrects us, rebukes us, and trains us in righteousness. Thank you for giving us something that we can hear and read and meditate on that recalibrates us and reminds us of who we are and what we're called to. We thank you for that this morning. May you use that in our lives. I pray, Lord, that as long as I'm here, that our church would be filled up with a deep desire for your word. To sing it, to pray it, to memorize it, to meditate on it, Lord, and to proclaim it. Give us that passion, Lord God, I pray. In your name we pray, amen. Meditate and worship with us.